Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Today we're going to take a break from Romans just for, oh, I'd say just a week. But I want us to look at Matthew chapter 11 today. Matthew chapter 11. God knew uh, several days ahead. That doesn't sound right. God knew before I did this week I'd be preaching, okay? He knew before the foundation of the earth that I'd be preaching today. But God's given us a word. And he has just orchestrated the whole day uh, in accordance, I think, to his will. And so let's read together from God's Word. Matthew chapter 11, I want to read a very familiar passage, one that I just hope and pray will speak to your heart. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. You've heard it before, but Jesus says... Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. I emphasize my in that last sentence because if we go back to verse 1 of this chapter, and I want us to do just that, Jesus is going to deal throughout chapter 11 with a lot of yokes and a lot of burdens and a lot of difficulties that are not easy and they are not light. And he knew that was going on all around him. He has been instructing his disciples, telling them things that they need to know as they minister for him. So in verse 1, let's just go through this quickly. But when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to preach and teach in their cities. And then he begins to deal with a variety of issues. I just want to name them quickly for us today. First of all, he addresses a problem with doubt. You may have never had any difficulty with that whatsoever, but I doubt it. I I can tell you, most of us do. He says in verse 2, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples, John's disciples, And said to him, are you the one? He said, go to Jesus, I can't get out of here. But he sent his own disciples, says, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them and said, go and tell John what you hear and see. Tell him that the blind receive their sight and the lame walk and lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor 
have good news preached to them. Don't, don't miss that verse. He said, I've met the poor's greatest need, and that's to hear the gospel. He says, the good poor have had good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You got to realize where John is. He's I'm surely heard of what Jesus says in Luke chapter 4 about, I've come to set the captive free, but John's not free. He is in prison, and he's probably already figured out that he is not going to ever make it out of there alive. It's just not going to happen. What happened to him? Well, when Herod the Great died, his kingdom basically, and it wasn't very big, but Palestine was divided up between three of his sons, one named Archelaus in the south, Antipas in Galilee in the middle of Palestine, and Philip in the north. Herod Antipas, though, he decided to go visit another brother named Philip, the son of Aristobulus. Uh, it was uh, not the same uh, one as that ruled in the north. Aristobulus, his brother, actually. But he went to see Philip, a different Philip. And he laid eyes on his wife and decided, I want his wife. And he not only took his wife, but he got home and ran his wife off. And John the Baptist did something that will still get you in trouble today. He dared address the corruption of the political scene around him. He didn't know, I don't guess, that you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to remain neutral on those kinds of issues. But John the Baptist was anything but neutral. So we know he had to have some doubts. Matthew's the only gospel writer that tells us this. But John the Baptist, even though of all the things, he even baptized Jesus but it's like life is not at all working out like he thought it was going to. I'm in prison now. I did exactly what God told me to do. I have answered the call of God. I've been faithful to that. And look where I've wound up. Philip Yancey says that in his book, Disappointment with God, he said, I have found that for many people there is a large gap between what they expect from their Christian faith and what they actually experience. It's difficult. This strange new idea is very late in coming in our world today that if you just have faith and you name it and you claim it and you believe it and come against it and all of that, that somehow or another you can manipulate reality that God is at your disposal and if your life is not really where it needs to be and, and you're not really knocking down the big money and all of that or you got a health issue you just haven't come against it with the right measure of faith yet when you do boy all of that will flee it doesn't seem to be true for men like john the baptist a lot of disappointment there and jesus's answer to his disciples that came and asked him he didn't say go tell him what i claim he says, go tell him what I do. Go tell him that the blind see and those that are dead have been raised from the dead. It's not about what I say. Let him know what I am doing and then he'll have the assurance that I am the one. I am the one. 
He dealt with doubt. He also dealt with disappointment. Verse 7, it says, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds. He knows John the Baptist's name has come up. Might as well deal with this because people had this thing about John the Baptist. He just didn't seem to fit what they knew of as a preacher in that day. And you can understand why. He's an outdoorsman and, and, and he would probably be what we would call a redneck country boy. Uh, boys used to being outside and having the freedom of, uh, of walking among the wildlife and now he is in prison. But Jesus knew that John just never seemed to fit in. He basically says, let's just go ahead and deal with that now. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? He said, what then did you go out to see? He's going to ask them three times. A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. A reed shaken by the wind is something that if the wind blows this way, they go that way. If it blows a different direction, you just never know which way they're going to go. John the Baptist knew which way he was going to go, and it didn't matter about the wind or any other forces around him. And those who wore these soft clothings and lived in king's palaces, they're usually their best skill was flattery. John wasn't all that gifted in flattery he says what then did you go out verse 9 to see a prophet he said i tell you oh yeah a prophet for sure but more than a prophet this is he of whom it is written and then he quotes a passage from the book of malachi i want to tell you they were disappointed in john the baptist but jesus knew that if you were disappointed in him just hang on it won't be long you will also be disappointed in me as well. And Jesus would go on to tell them that I can tell you now, think of him whatever you like, but he is of all of those born, there is none greater born of woman than John the Baptist. William Barclay says John the Baptist reminds him of a story about a blind lamplighter back in the days of before electricity said there was a little town somewhere where this guy would go and light all the lamps about dark but he was blind and someone made the statement that it's odd that the light that he brought was a light that he never got to see and there was so much about which john the baptist preached so much light that he shed that he himself was never able to experience jesus dealt with the doubt the disappointment the dangers there were some of those in that days it says from the days of john the baptist jesus said until now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force for the prophets and the law prophesied until john and you are willing to accept it if you are willing to accept it he is elijah you see, Malachi had prophesied that Elijah would come back. He says, this is that Elijah. John the Baptist is that Elijah. And if you do look in the Gospels, you'll find one place where John is asked about that. And he says, no, I'm not Elijah. But I suspect if you ask John, are you one who among those born of woman, there's not one greater than you? I'd say he'd probably 
deny that as well. But Jesus said, no, this is the one prophesied by Malachi that would come. But he says, "There's it's been violent ever since. Since John started preaching, it's one thing after another. When you start preaching the truth of God and you start standing up for what God has to say, I can just tell you, nowadays you have invited the enemy out for a fight and he will show up every single time he says some are trying to take the kingdom of god by force the jews were really looking forward to this kingdom in their mind because they thought it would bring them prominence and revenge but when jesus came he brought them neither one he brought them forgiveness and peace in their heart and they didn't want it the pharisees wanted affirmation the sadducees were wanting some kind of positive feedback about the temple and and the sanhedrin which uh, on which mostly they ruled and then the zealots they wanted war jesus said ever since the preaching of john there have been those who had ulterior motives for the kingdom of god and we still see that today People who think church should be a place where my desires are met, where my wants are satisfied, where I get the attention that I deserve. Sad. He dealt with doubt, disappointment, danger, disinterest. This is just the introduction. Verse 16, he says, But to what shall I compare this generation? He says, you're like children sitting in the marketplaces calling to their playmates and saying, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. And we sang a dirge, a sad song, a funeral dirge for you, and you would not mourn. Jesus is saying to them, you are apathetic. You're worse than wicked. You're just indifferent. You, you, you just don't care. And, and just things go on around you and you just don't seem to... It doesn't move you at all. John the Baptist came preaching one way and you didn't like him and I've come preaching another way and you don't like me. It's like you are uh, absolutely incorrigible. There's just no way in the world that you can be satisfied with anything. Good lesson for us here is don't chase human erratic impulsiveness don't try to keep up with the latest demographic study of what people are looking for when they come to church. I, I, I got to tell you, that has some value. Hear that. But I got to tell you this, what has far more value is no matter what they come looking for, if they come here and they meet Jesus Christ, that is the only thing that can change their life. They need to hear the preaching of the gospel. They don't need their latest generational itch scratched. They need Jesus. Doubt, disappointment, danger, disinterest, it's down the list. Dissatisfaction. He says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. He said, and the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and that he was. Yet, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Just look at how it all turned out. You said you thought John had a demon, and then I come along, and, and then you 
got a different complaint about me, but if you really look at it from a wise point of view, you will understand that the ministry of John the Baptist is going to bear fruit, and the ministry that I have is going to bear fruit as well. And he moved on. He said, I'll deal with defiance. He lists that in this passage. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. That was the problem. They didn't repent. He said, woe to you, Chorazan, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum. I lived there in, in Peter's house. I walked among you every day. I was right there. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Is that what you're thinking? You will actually be brought down to hell or Hades. For the mighty works done in you, if they had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day, but I tell you, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You see, this is how we know that John was right when he said we couldn't write down all the things that Jesus did because we have no record in the Gospels anywhere of him going to Chorazin or to Bethsaida. But we know that he must have because he said, I did some mighty works there, but it just did not seem to move you at all. Man, their sin was a disregarded, a great privilege. And I look at our churches today and, and nobody's beating on the door this morning trying to kill the pastor or, or to stop the preaching of the word. I know there's people that don't care about it, but look at all of the awesome opportunities that we have here in America and, and people all over this world this morning. They walk, many of them, for miles and and some of them lost their lives, no doubt today, just trying to get somewhere to worship God. And yet, for us, sometimes you have to pet us. You have to feed us in more way than one. You have to entertain us. You have to hold our interests. You have to make us feel important. You have to do a whole lot of high-maintenance work just to try to get a church half full nowadays, I think he would say to us, woe to you, old church of America. You have been so blessed. He also dealt with disregard, and at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Nepois, neonatal, we get our word from it. Little infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will and, and all things have been handed over to me by my Father and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. I'll paraphrase. It is like Jesus is just tired of arguing with people who seem to know everything. 
He says, God, I'm glad. Father, I'm glad. He just breaks into prayer here. He says, Father, I'm so glad that I, I can tell when I talk to them, you've not even revealed a lot of this stuff to them. They're ignorant about it. They got their own ideas and they're so filled with pride and they feel like that they just know everything and, and they want to argue about everything. He said, I'm so glad that, that you kept it from them, that you blinded their eyes to this. And he says, I'm so glad though that you reveal it to those who are like little children. Man, little children are teachable. And when you're small, you, you'll believe all kinds of stuff. You're, you, you, you don't have the experience. Uh, there's so much you don't know. And, and you have such a level of trust. My goodness, I just... Uh, Boy, you, you, you just are so humble and, and so open to almost everybody and sometimes to a level where in such is dangerous, but that's just where you are. You're vulnerable and some people though can take advantage of that. See, when we're born into this world, we almost have no instinct at all. Animals, some of them have a lot. Those that are really wild have more than those that are more easily domesticated. But as human beings, other than maybe to nurse, and that's a maybe, we have no instinct at all. We have to be taught everything. But it's fairly easy because we're so vulnerable and our little minds are so open when we are like that. Matter of fact, Jesus says, I know, I know little children can be so easily led. And I love what he says in Matthew 18. He says, and at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child up to himself and set him before them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm not here to argue about it. He sent me to do that. Sometimes that's a mistake I make, really. I'm that foolish sometimes that no God sent Mike Snellgrove to try to straighten out these people and try to convince them that they're wrong. And I know they're intellectual and they got great education and all that, but somehow or another I feel like that, that I'm going to be able to win them over. I can tell you I cannot. And I will never be able to because until they become like little children and are willing to believe things that their neighbors may think is just foolish superstition, until they're willing to embrace Jesus Christ in that way, nothing anyone ever says is going to move their heart. He says, whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. That's right. You believe like a child and they receive you like a child. They are receiving me. But boy, he says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a millstone. Matter of fact, he said a heavy millstone. I figure a light one would do, but Jesus said, no, let's get a heavy. 
hung around his neck and be thrown to the depth of the sea. I made children vulnerable, but don't you dare take advantage of one of them. Wow, what a word from God. What a word from God. He lists all of these things. And then at the end of it, he has dealt with so much, we could talk about it all day long. But he is dealing with people that are at the end of their road. The Pharisees have jerked him around. The Sadducees and Sanhedrin throw him in jail. The Romans have enslaved him. They're trying to good their way to God because that's the only thing that they have ever been taught and they're desperately trying to do good but they're finding that it is impossible and they're weary and they're full of despair and then we come to verse 28 now i know we are living a long time this side of when these words were originally spoken but I can't help but believe in a crowd this size, there are people sitting here, that you're right where a lot of these poor folks were. You tried so hard to be what God would have you be. You feel like a big old failure part of the time. You know it's by grace, but somehow or another you feel like, well, but I've got to try hard and work really hard at it and, and and i'm not saying that we don't have to surrender and take up our cross and follow him but i can tell you becoming righteous and becoming right and justified before god if you've been working really hard at doing that i hope and pray that today is the day you give up on that jesus knew these poor souls had been jerked around by religion and governments and everything else and he finally looks at them and he says this. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest in your souls. He said, because my yoke is not like Pharisees and the other Jews and the Romans and any other religion you can name, he said, no, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. No, no outline here, just look at what he says. Come unto me. He didn't say come to a teaching. He didn't say come to a church. He didn't say come to a religion. No, he says come to me. He knew he was talking to people that, there, it's almost like the picture some scholar said, of a wild beast that is hurting. And all he knows to do is just run from anybody, even those who are trying uh, their desperate way, uh, to, their, their best to help them. They're scared. They're afraid. They, they don't know what to do. They're hurting. And, they, they, and the one that's really trying to help them, sometimes they're even running from them as well. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm not asking you to come to a new form of Judaism or try out a new religion that will do nothing but shackle you just like all of the others have. This is, this is not some new program from Rome. No, I'm telling you, this is about a relationship. Come to me. Come to me. Jesus said. Pharisees said, do. 
Jesus said, come. It is a relationship. Some people use the language, I I think I know what they mean sometimes, but I hope they know what they mean when they say, I've come to the faith. Don't come to the faith, come to him. Don't don't join another church or another religion. Get Finally just say, I just give up today, God. I've tried this, and the only thing I feel in church is shame. And, and I feel like all of the sermons are just hammering me. And I, I, I just, I know my life is not where it needs to be. I'm just telling you, Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me, all who are laboring or heavy laden. Oh, man. The word for laborers, we could translate it as weary. It is a word that is usually used for physical exhaustion. This would be those who are going to good their way to God somehow or another. They're going to quit this and stop that and start this and work harder on this. All of those things, I'm telling you, none of that will work until you come to Jesus Christ. Boy, they had laid heavy burdens on them. Those around them, I mean, you think about it, they had 613 commandments, 360-something of these commandments were things you can't do, 250 of them were things that you got to do, and all of that was going on around them. And they were so weary, and they were still treated like outcasts. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this, we talk about Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, the Sakari, and all of the different sects of, of different Judaism uh, that was going on at the time. But yet 90% of the population around Jesus did not belong to any of them. That's the group that Jesus looked at and said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They've not been led or loved. They've been jerked around with a bunch of stuff that's foolish and meaningless. Had heavy burdens laid on them. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 23. He said, you lay heavy burdens on people. And he told the people there, he said, these Pharisees, he said, they like to sit in Moses' seat. There was a chair called Moses' seat. And, and that was for somebody really important. If you sat there, you had authority. And he says, they think that, that they deserve to sit there and that they can just teach you and jerk you around and make you do whatever they want to do. He says, none of that. None of that can save you. He says they tie up heavy burdens and they lay them on men's shoulders and they just can't bear it. I'd ask you a question today. What's your taskmaster? Maybe it's not religion that's gotten the best of you. It might be something else in life. It just burdens you. It dominates your life. It, it, could, it could be trying to do good works. It, it might be you feel like if I sacrifice enough, that will save me. It could just be guilt. Maybe guilt is driving you. That can make a hard taskmaster. Whatever it is, it might be fear. It might be all kinds of things. Whatever it is, Jesus is saying to you today, come unto me. And take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. A yoke in that day usually was made for two cattle. 
two oxen. And several times the oxen would be taken over to the carpenter's house and be refitted for the yoke because it had to fit just right. Because that's what this oxen is going to push against. And sometimes you would have a younger oxen that didn't know a thing in the world about pulling a plow. So what you would do is yoke that oxen with one that did know. And the larger, more mature one would teach the smaller, younger one the direction to go and how to obey the commandments. Jesus says, quit trying to please religion and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, come unto me and take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What an invitation. What an invitation. Man, learn from me. Come, take and learn that learning is a process and sometimes it takes a while if you're like me i want to tell you something we're about to close the older i get i'm i'm say this with all honesty the more amazed i am at how much i need to learn And the more amazed I am at the things that I learn wrong. I, I don't know how long I'd have to live to learn it all. I, it, it would be six digits. I, I've often said before, I wish you could live life backwards. Die, go ahead and get that out of the way. Not worry about it the rest of your life. It's done. And start out really smart. <laughs> and then the longer you live, the less you worry about things. And then near the end of your life, all you'd want to do is play and have fun. How cool would that be? Oh, and that one about the longer you live, the better you feel. Oh, could I ever use that one? I've learned so much, but a lot of it was because for so long, even when I went into ministry, there were expectations that I felt like were on me. I, you, you, you may not believe it. We can dig up some photographs, possibly. There was a time I'd have never gone to church without a suit and tie. And when I had hair, I had her slick back, buddy. I had the televangelistic hair sprayed, glad to be here look. I'm going to tell you, I had it all down. I was trying to do, and I can remember when I first started preaching, I'd try to preach like Billy Graham, and then I'd hear somebody else, and well, then I'd try to preach like them, and then I'd hear somebody else, and then I'd try to preach like that. I was just jumping from one expectation to another. And in the first church that I had, whoever had the loudest voice, they had the biggest influence on me. I'm ashamed of it, but I was so mature. I didn't know any better. And I lived a, a large portion of my ministry jumping through hoops, trying my best to meet the expectations expressed around me. I'm an old man now. I know some of you are older than I am, but I got a lot of miles on me.
I'm an old man now and I'm learning. Thank you, Father, that my expectations belong to one. And whatever God expects me to do, I have no choice. That's what I must do. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. Jesus, creator of the universe, he's gentle and lowly, and I'm going to bow up with a big bad attitude. You're going to pull out in front of me somewhere on the road, and I'm going to go by cursing and yelling and screaming about your sorry driving. Or, or, or I'm going to get in conversations and always try to make myself look like I know everything. We're going to be big and bad as human beings. And Jesus says, I'm meek and lowly. And the word meek doesn't mean weak. It's a, a word that means powerful, but yet control. Jesus says, I could do a lot of things. Just think about it. Sometimes to do things is one thing, but to not do things is another. When they pulled out his beard and they slapped him in the face and they called him all kinds of names and they treated him like garbage. Just think of all the things he could have done. Oh, I could have put up a fight for about, I don't know, a second. Jesus could have said, you pull my beard one more time and I'm going to put that arm over on the other side of you where the other one is. And then I'm going to send you to some galaxy you've never heard of. He could have done all of that. But motivated by love for us, he was meek and lowly. He says, my yoke is easy. It means it's a krestos is the word. It means kind and benevolent and good. It can also mean well-fitting. You still will pull loads and you still will have burdens, but... He says, I can tell you the yoke that if you yoke yourself with me, my yoke fits well and my burden is light. My burden is light. As I close today, I thought it would be nice just to read The last invitation that Christ ever gave. It's in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. I hope it sounds familiar. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty Come, and let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. The invitation of Jesus is to come. Come to Him. Work on your relationship with Him. That, that could be monumental in our lives. If we would really sit down and take a look at the things that we feel like the whole world around us is expecting of us, or maybe church, and if we have made you feel that way, I'm sorry, because we very well could have. 
Churches are really good at it. I, I, I don't even know if I remember it exactly right. I'll probably mess it up. But I, I remember seeing a church sign one time in a magazine or something or online, and it was put up for a joke, but the church sign looked real. It says, uh, uh, don't uh, go crazy all by yourself. Let the church help. Well, we can help. <laughs> We'll get you in the straitjacket. You just come see us. Don't come to us. Come to Him. He knew who He was talking to that day. And I think He's still talking to that same crowd today. He's telling you if you just feel like, man, church is just not my thing. I'll tell you something if you promise not to tell anybody. It's not my thing either. Oh, I remember when I was a little boy hearing the preacher say that heaven's going to be like one big long church service. And I was thinking, good Lord. <laughs> Didn't he say there was somewhere else you could go? And then when I heard about hell, I thought, now that's where the preacher was talking about, wasn't it? Forgive those, and especially me, if we've heaped burdens on you that were our burdens and they weren't God's. Come to Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we come today knowing that some of our church family today are hurting some of them may be sitting in here this morning god and boy what a frustrating week they've had i, I know about some of it a lot of it i may not know about some of those things god you know that we never tell anybody things that lord we are ashamed that we're still dealing with we're embarrassed that it still has such a grip in our life god I pray, Father, for relief for all of us today. And those, Lord, who aren't able to be here today, life just got too overwhelming. So much pain and hurt. I pray for them today, God. And I pray you'd help all of us, Lord, to never forget your invitation being so simple. You want a relationship with us, God. Help us, Lord. Help us, God, to just run into your arms today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.